Open your Bibles, please, tonight to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, as we continue our Wednesday night focus, the strategies of Satan, how to detect and defeat Satan. These teachings are online. If you missed last week, I believe you can go to greaseassembly.org to our media section, and I'm getting thumbs up, and you can listen to last Wednesday night's teaching. Tonight, I'd like to begin with reading 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, if you're taking notes. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Well, we know who's in the world. We know who the ruler of this world system is. It's Satan. And as we talked about last week, he has dispatched demonic forces all around the world. But I got good news for us tonight. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen? Pastor Ken, do you have a pen on you? That's okay. I have my glasses. I'll use my glasses. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Ken. Positionally, and I love using this illustration. I've used it many times here at Greece Assembly. Positionally, you are in Christ and delivered from the power of Satan. What I've just shared is biblical. You and I, this pen represents you and I, and we are positioned in Christ. We are positioned in Christ, and no weapon formed against you shall prosper according to God's word. Why? Because we are positionally in Christ. No weapon formed against us. No weapon formed against us shall prosper because you and I are positioned in Christ. Isn't that a powerful illustration? I hope that encourages you. You know, we're, we're, the enemy is, is, is constantly attacking um, Christ followers. Oh, is this yours? Thank you, Michelle. He's attacking Christ followers, but as I shared last week, he has troops, demonic troops, dispatched all around the world um, doing his work. But greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Positionally, you are in Christ and delivered from the power of darkness. Paul writing to the church in Colossae, he writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Isn't that beautiful? It's so critically important that we remember that we're not fighting for victory, but from victory. For Jesus Christ has already defeated Satan. He's a defeated foe. He is a defeated foe. And we, we have this thinking, but it's incorrect thinking that we have to, we have to fight the enemy. We have to defeat the enemy. You can't defeat the enemy. But there's someone who already has. Amen? And his name is Jesus. He rose victoriously. We just sang that moments ago. He, he rose victorious. Amen? And when he rose victorious, he defeated death, the power of Satan. 
has been broken in the life of those who are positioned in Jesus Christ and his finished work on Calvary. Do you believe that, church? And that's why no weapon formed against us shall prosper. But it's important that we understand these truths and by faith embrace these truths and proclaim these truths. Live out these truths. Revelation 12, 11 says, and they overcame him, Satan, because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. Is that glorious? The Bible has this to say about Satan and his demons. John 8, 48, John chapter 8, verse 44. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Revelation 12, 9 says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. You know, when we understand lost people are deceived, blinded by the God of this age, by Satan, we would will find ourselves with a greater burden for lost people. That this veil of deception, we would find ourselves burdened and and praying more faithfully, more consistently, more fervently for those that are blinded, their hearts are veiled by the God of this age. That, That veil would be rent, that veil would be lifted, that the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ would would explode in their hearts and minds, that they would have a clear revelation of God's love through Jesus Christ. God demonstrated his love toward us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. God honors the prayers of, of his people. God's moved by a praying church. When we stand in the gap and we intercede for lost people, it moves God. Second John chapter 1, verse 7 says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Demonic. These individuals are under demonic influence, demonic powers. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do you believe that? Do we live like we believe it? Do we pray like we believe it? Do we walk in victory like we believe it? Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Follow along as I read. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. 
Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. We have some new books here tonight available. I know there are several that wanted a copy of the book, and we ran out last week, so be sure to see Pastor Dan if you're interested in picking up a copy of, of the book, The Strategies of Satan. I want to talk tonight for, for a little bit on Satan's target, um, your mind, my mind. That's Satan's target. Um, when Satan wanted to lead the first man and woman into sin, he started by attacking the woman's mind. And this is made clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, where Paul writes, But I am afraid lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness that your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. He's writing to the church in Corinth. He's writing to believers. And there's an implication here that it's possible to be deceived. It's possible for Christ followers to be deceived. That's alarming. And we'll talk more about this as tonight unfolds and as the next couple of weeks unfold. Why would Satan want to attack your mind? And we talked a little about this last week because your mind is the part of the image of God where God communicates with you and reveals his will to you. Paul, he writes... In Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the will of, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So God has a will for you. God has a will for me, which is good and acceptable and perfect. How many want to know God's will that is good, acceptable, and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. When we find ourselves conformed to this world, we are believing Satan's lies. We are falling prey to his deception. I shared last week, it wouldn't be deception if it wasn't deception. He's crafty, he's cunning. And when we find ourselves being conformed, looking like, thinking first like the world, because when we think like the world, we begin to act like the world. We begin to look like the world. We begin to treat everybody like the world. And when we find ourselves being conformed, we are believing Satan's lies. We're being deceived. God renews our lives by renewing our minds, and he renews our minds through his truth, his word. Jesus prays for his disciples in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth, thy word is truth. If Satan can get you to believe a lie, then he can begin to work in your life to lead you astray, to lead you into sin. Turn, if you will, for just a moment to Proverbs chapter four, Proverbs chapter four. Did you know that the average person has 10,000 separate thoughts each day? There's a lot going on in our heads. No wonder we're exhausted by the end of the day. That works out to be, I did some math. That works out to be 
3.5 million thoughts a year. And if you live to be 75, you will have over 26 million different thoughts. Just that thought alone makes me exhausted. Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. The word heart is mentioned some 800 times in the Old Testament, and more than 200 times it's referred to as the thought life. Psalms 23, or excuse me, Proverbs 23.7a says, For as he thinks in his heart, thought life, so is he. Church, it's vital to understand that Solomon here is talking to his son about guarding and protecting his thought life. Your thought life is like a fountain, and what comes in will come out. Your thought life is the wellspring of life itself, and if you pollute the fountain, you pollute all of life. Now, everyone should have received a seed when you came in. Did you receive your seed? You have your seed right here? I have mine. And... I just wanted to bless you with something tonight. Look at this seed. Look how small. It's an okra seed. How many like okra? You know, the first time I had fried okra, I was living down in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the first time that I had okra was in the, um, the, Charlotte, the Charlotte jail. I wasn't an inmate. <laughs> I was visiting. I'd go twice a week. To minister to the inmates. And I'll never forget because I would, I would eat um, lunch um, once a week there. And um, I was introduced to fried okra. I was like, wow, this is good. And mashed potatoes and southern gravy. And, and one day I, I came to make my weekly visit and having lunch with some of the guards. And... and um, they said, oh, Pastor Pat, you, you can't eat here today, and you can't eat here anymore. I says, oh, really, no more fried okra? And they said, no, sorry. I said, well, what happened? Did I do something? No, you didn't do anything. He goes, we, we had an inmate that was on good behavior, and so he was promoted to kitchen duty. And you know that gravy, that southern gravy you like? He put turpentine in it. I says, I don't think I'll eat here anymore. <laughs> you like my okra story? <laughs> I'm holding this seed and I'm thinking, I asked for some seed today and these are the seeds that they brought to me and, and it made me think about my ministry there in Charlotte Jail and um, the Mecklenburg County Jail. And um, so this seed, it's small. If you sow a thought, you reap a deed. If you sow a deed, you reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap a character. And if you sow a character, you reap a destiny. It begins with sowing a seed. You know, the enemy's out there sowing seed. (laughs) Seeds of deception. Seeds of deception. And our minds need to be renewed on a daily basis. Our minds need to be washed on a daily basis. 
with the truth, the word of God. Amen? This is so critically, critically vital and important. You might wonder, why do pastors always say it's so important to read the word? Are they getting a cut, a percentage of Bibles sold? No, we're not getting a cut. I just know it to be true personally in my life. I know the difference in my life when I'm living in the word and when I'm living outside the word. There's a real enemy who's sowing seed. He's planting seeds. He has a demonic realm that's planting seeds. Our minds need to be renewed, amen? Those are seeds of deception. What is planted and grows in your mind determines your destiny. Every sin destroyed in your thought life will not become part of your history. So much of the walk of a Christ follower comes down to our thought life. It's so true. And that's why our, Satan's target is our mind, is the believer's mind. Solomon's instruction to keep your heart, thought life, implies some kind of evil, some kind of adversity, some kind of opposition or negative influence. And and we know what kind of evil he's talking about, what kind of adversity and, and opposition and negative influence. We know that it comes from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this world, whose ruler is Satan and his demonic forces. And he spreads his seeds of deception in, in so many different ways. Even in churches that say Christian, he sows his seeds of deception when false doctrine is being preached. Through social media, the internet, Tools where the gospel can go forth. Amen? He uses to sow these seeds. How many times have I sat with someone and when I hear this this, this overwhelming doctrine that they have embraced and where did you hear this? Well, I read it online. So because it's online, it's true. Because you just entered a church that says Christian, it's true. Don't be lazy. Open your Bibles. Go home. Make sure what the preacher is saying is true. Can I hear a big amen? So critically, critically important. The Hebrew word for keep literally means to guard diligently against the enemy. To set a guard on your thought life. Wow. Our thought life influences our speech. It influences our steps. Proverbs 4.24, put away from, your, from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. And Jesus said in Luke 6.45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Our thoughts become words. 
I think of Paul's exhortation. I believe it's in Ephesians. He's writing. And he's writing to marriages. He says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath and they'll give place to the devil. It's all part of the same thought. You know, when you go to bed with something unresolved, whether it's in a marriage relationship or any relationship for that matter, and there were some not so kind words expressed and you go to bed without resolving or making things right, do you know we give place to the devil and he works in our subconsciousness while we're sleeping? We don't want to give him place. That scripture implies that we can give the devil a place. Ken, would you look that passage up so I can give the right reference? Don't let the sun go down on your head, nor give place to the devil. Again, the implication is that we can give Satan a place. We can give him a foothold. Our thoughts become words. Do you have the reference, Pastor Ken? Ephesians 4, 26. Thank you. And 27. Our thoughts become words. Let's not give place to the devil. We can give the devil place. The road to sin starts in your mind. Get off the road before you travel too far. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Boy, he's so deceptive. He makes sin look so attractive, doesn't he? But the Bible tells us it's fun for a season. What do we know about seasons here in Rochester? They come and they go. Still waiting for summer to come. Lastly, our thought life influences our steps. Proverbs 4, verses 26 and 27. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. Solomon instructs his son to think carefully where he goes. Set up boundaries and stand firm. God's word is full of boundaries. Why? Because he's a killjoy? No, because he's a loving father. He's a good, good father, and he wants to keep us from the peril and dangers of of sin. He wants to protect us from the enemy's deception and, and, and lies. Aren't you grateful for a good, good father who loves us, who sets up boundaries? Solomon instructs his son to stay away from places where temptation attacks you. Hmm. What's being sowed? What seeds are being sowed into your mind, your thought life? 
Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its last. The apostle Paul is saying, clothe your mind with the word of God. No one falls into sin. No one just walks away from God. We walk into sin one step. We drift away one step at a time. And all along the way, with every step we take, the Holy Spirit speaks to us saying, ponder the path of your feet. Watch your step. Stay away. Did you know that two thoughts cannot occupy the mind at the same time? So the choice is ours, whether or not our thoughts will be constructive or destructive, positive or negative, pure or impure, true or deceptive. And Paul gave some practical advice in Philippians 4.8 that will help us in our thought life and influence our outward behavior. He instructs um, the Christians in Philippi, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one, th- one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Worthy of praise. Why would Satan want to attack your mind? Because your mind is that part of the image of God where God communicates with you and me and reveals his will to us. And that's why if Satan can get you to believe a lie, then he can begin to work in your life to lead you astray. He knows, Satan knows the tremendous power of your mind and he tries to capture it for himself. Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Romans 8, 6, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Your mind affects your whole being. Satan knows, again, the tremendous power of your mind, and he tries to capture it for himself, and he's sowing seeds, and he, and he uses all kinds of mediums. And even relationships. We have to be on guard. We have to guard our minds. We have to protect our minds. We have to be intentional. We have to be alert, sober minded. In other words, controlled by the Spirit of God. People who walk and live in the Spirit of God, who are continually being filled. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, be filled, continually be filled. Some commentators say we need to continually be filled because we are leaky vessels. I don't know why. I just know we need to be continually filled. I don't know if we're cracked vessels. But I do know that there's a command there in Ephesians to be continually filled with the Spirit. In other words, 24-7, live a self-controlled life, a spirit-controlled life. Amen? A spirit-controlled life. The fruit of the spirit is what? Self-control? A self-controlled life is a spirit-controlled life. We can't do anything in ourselves apart from the Holy Spirit of God. Satan's weapon lies. Satan came to Eve as the serpent, 
the artful deceiver. He's good at his craft. It is important that we notice the steps Satan took in getting Eve to believe his lie. The first thing he did was he questioned God's word. Look at Genesis 3.1. Has God indeed said? Has God indeed said? He did not deny that God had spoken. Did you hear that, church? He didn't deny that God had spoken. He simply questioned whether God had really said what Eve thought he had said. Perhaps you misunderstood what God spoke as Satan's suggestion. You owe it to yourself to rethink, to rethink what you thought he said. It is worth noting that in this suggestion, Satan is also questioning God's goodness. If God really loved you, he wouldn't keep something from you. Has that seed, has that thought ever entered your mind? Anyone? Know that that seed isn't being sowed by the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. He tried the same thing with Jesus. If you are God's beloved son, why are you hungry? Turn this stone into bread. He questioned God's word. I remember back in 2010, the Assemblies of God had put out, uh, sent a letter to, to credential holders about reframing their, their verbiage as far as the, the, the whole creation account. They still held the belief that, that God created, but I got really nervous that they were going down a slippery slope, and I remember writing our general superintendent, and I was very concerned, and who am I, this little peon writing our general superintendent, my concern, and I wrote him my concern, and, and he wrote me back, and, and so I wrote him again, and he wrote me back, and he said, I'm sending your letters your recent letter and your first letter to the purity doctrine, doctrine of purity council. And I checked the other day and I'm grateful for the verbiage. I'm not saying it's because of my letter. I'm hoping and praying that others sent similar letters. You know, when we call into question creation, a little of six days, and one day being a 24-hour period, when you begin to unlock the door of, of young earth versus old earth, old earth versus young, this isn't the teaching here tonight, <laughs> Well, science has discovered. You know, when we begin to call into question the very first chapter of the Bible, can't you see how the enemy can work and deceive? And we have young people who who are constantly being attacked and, and, and seeds are being sowed of deception, the lies of the enemy. And they're being told that they got to question everything that they've been told that is true. Question.
question the word of God, question the first chapter of the Bible, question creation, literal six days. Can you see how the enemy can use that to cause them to question everything? If this isn't true, if this isn't literal, did Jesus really die? The second thing Satan did is he denied God's word. Look at Genesis 3, 4. You surely shall not die. Warren Wisby says in his book, it is but a short step from questioning God's word to denying it. If Eve had not listened to Satan questioning God's word, she would never have fallen into his trap when he denied God's word. You see a strategy? Third, he substituted his own lie. Look at verse 5 of chapter 3. You will be like God. You will be like God. In verse 4, he denied God's word. You, shall, you surely shall not die. He denied God's word. And then he substitutes his own lie. You will be like God. This was, of course, Satan's great ambition when he was Lucifer, God's angelic angel and servant. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14 say, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You who have weakened nations, weakened nations. Who has weakened nations? When we, Satan, the demonic realm, has weakened nations. When we look at all these nations, they're groaning for deliverance, aren't they? Didn't Paul talk about this? Writing to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 8, all creation groans for deliverance. This demonic realm is weakening nations. This demonic realm works 24-7 to weaken nations. Why do you think our nation is so weak, the nation of America? Because there's a demonic realm that's at work weakening this nation and the nations of the world church does that not burden your soul there's a real enemy he never slumbers he doesn't sleep he doesn't take vacations he's working 24 7 and he's weakening this nation he's weakening this nation Romans 125 says for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie literally the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever and that's how he's weakening the nations He has deceived God's creation to worship themselves, to be their own God. Truth is whatever you want it to be. How did Eve respond to Satan's approach? She responded by making three mistakes. Number one, she took away God's word. 
In verse 2, Eve omitted the word freely. That's big. God's original word in Genesis 2.16 was, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. She omitted the word freely. We can easily get the impression from verse 16 that Eve fell for Satan's deceptive suggestion. God is holding out on you, Eve. Have you ever felt that way? God is holding out. Have you ever had that thought? Understand that thought's not coming from God. How many know God is not holding out on any of us? He is a good, good father. When you have that thought, it's not from God. It's from the devil. It's from his demonic forces that he has scattered throughout the world. Here is an important truth. When you start to question the grace of God and the goodness of God, you will find it much easier to disobey God. The second mistake she made is she added to God's word. We do not find the words or touch it in God's original command. Warren Wisby in his book says, not only did Eve make God's original word less gracious by omitting the word freely, but she also made the commandment more grievous by adding or touch it. 1 John 5, 3 says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Have you, ever had the, have you ever had the thought, oh God, this command is so burdensome. Have you ever had that thought? It's so burdensome. Understand, God's not sowing that thought. He's not sowing that thought. He's not. And I'm just giving that as an example how the enemy is, is sowing seed. The demonic realm is sowing seed. We don't always identify it, these different thoughts. Because if we were aware, this is against the word of God. This isn't just my flesh thinking this. There's an enemy who's sowing seeds of deception, who wants to lead me astray. It's true. That's why we need to take a bath. We need to take a shower every single day in the word of God. We need to cleanse our minds. We need to renew our minds with the washing of God's word. So critically important. And, you know, I was thinking this today as I was praying and studying for tonight. Man, how we have an important responsibility. Paul says in Ephesians 5, wash your wives with the word of God. Men. Wash your wives with the word. Wow. I can do that. I can do that because God's not going to command me to do something that I can't do, that he doesn't give me the grace or the strength to do. I can do that. I can wash my wife with the word. Well, pastor, I don't know the word like my wife knows the word. Wash it with the word that you know. (laughs) You see how we just begin to just fall prey to the subtleties? It wouldn't be deception if we weren't deceived. 
He's cunning. He's crafty. He's good at his craft. The third mistake Eve made was that she changed God's word. God did not say, lest you die. He said, for in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Notice the penalty for disobedience as presented by Satan did not seem, his penalty did not seem as severe. Look at Genesis 3, 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. It's okay. Have you ever had the thought, it's okay, do it. God's going to forgive you. Have you ever had that thought? God's not putting that thought there. The enemy's sowing seed. The demonic realm sowing seed. Go ahead. Go ahead and do it. God will forgive you. But what Satan fails to tell the individual is what you do can cause so much damage and destruction in the process. You're quiet tonight. Eve forsook God's will and obeyed Satan's will. She disobeyed God's truth and obeyed Satan's lie. Not a good place to be. Once you have treated God's word in this way, you are wide open for the devil's final trick. Eve considered the tree apart from God's word. Think about that tonight. She had to make a choice, God's word or Satan's word. And she rejected God's word, believed Satan, and and sinned. God accomplishes his will on earth through truth. Satan accomplishes his purposes through lies. When we consider sin apart from God's word, we will accept all kinds of sinful practices. You know, Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, covetedness. The list goes on, will inherit the kingdom of God. But somehow we have this notion that we we have this scale, we, we weigh sin. This sin is a lot heavier and more severe than this sin. And so we hop on this one's sin. We're self-righteous. Oh, we're committing this sin, but this one's a lot heavier. This one's a lot worse. What what does God do right here in Paul's writing? Neither fornicator nor idolater nor adulterer nor homosexual inherit the kingdom of heaven. You know, we get all bent out of shape because of gay marriage, and, and, and rightfully so, but do we get bent out of shape just as much when Christians are 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 committing adultery, fornication, lying, stealing? Cheating on their taxes? 
You love the pastor? You know that seed gets sown. Oh, the government gets enough of my money. They don't need to know about this. Have you ever had those thoughts? I have. <laughs> I got to admit, I have. Mm-hmm. Come on, church. That's not from God, is it? Is it, Glenn? Not from God. You know, in same-sex marriage, Satan has planted questions concerning God's word, denying his truth, saying God's word doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. I've had those conversations with people who, who claim to be Christ followers. That's not what God's word says. You know, 22 years ago when I transitioned from student pastor to senior pastor, the previous pastor was a part of this group um, in the community where some um, the churches from the ecumenical group and evangelical group would, would come together. Really, it was the ecumenical group. There was no even, an evangelical group in the town at the time. And so, um, I attended a couple lunches, and, and at the time, I had Bible clubs in all the Greece schools. And so I thought, wow, what an opportunity for me at one of their monthly luncheons to, to, to make this announcement about the, the Bible clubs on all the Greece campuses, and they can promote it to their church. And so I met with the president of this group, and I said, hey... Um, would there be any possibility of me having a, a, just a couple of minutes at the next luncheon to share about these Bible clubs that we have on all the high school campuses here in the town of Greece? I'm so excited. And the president said, no. And I said, no, why? And so the pastor says, well, because I think I believe in the separation of church and state. I says, but we, we, we have all these approvals and great things are happening. And they said, no. We shouldn't be pushing what we believe on the students in our community. And there was a big issue back then, believe it or not, where things just started turning about same-sex marriage. And there was something going on in Rochester that hit the, the front pages of the newspaper. And I said, you know, can I ask you a question? What are your thoughts on this, on this present situation right now? Are you asking me if I think homosexuality and, and same-sex um, relationships are sinful? Yes. That's what I'm asking. No, I don't, I don't believe it is. I believe that's how they were made by God. I asked the pastor, I said... And I had, I had a Bible with me, and I said, well, but God's word says, and the pastor looked at me and said, I don't believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God. This is a church in this community, by the way. I said, yeah, I got one more question. Why do you do what you do? No, I, I did. I asked the question, why do you do what you do? And the pastor's response was, because God has called me to. Well, I, 
I've never, ever attended anything else that group has ever sanctioned or put on over the last 22 years. I started the evangelical group of pastors in the town of Greece that preached the gospel. That preached the gospel. The full counsel of God's word that believed that this book is the infallible, inspired, infallible word of God. Why are you starting this group? Pat, why are you starting this group? You're, you're, you're going to cause disunity. No, I'm not. We're not unified. Because you wear the banner Christian and I wear the banner Christian, that's not what unifies us. We're not unified. You don't believe that this book is the infallible, inspired, infallible word of God. You argue that it was written by imperfect men, sinful men. You and I, we're not unified. We're not on the same page. So I'm not causing disunity at all. I'm just connecting with those that I'm unified with in Christ. Church, we have to be careful. Slippery slopes. I don't want to be labeled as the divider. I'm not. God separates light from darkness. They don't, they don't mix. God does. Not me. My heart's burdened for those people. They're deceived. That pastor's deceived every time they get behind their pulpit. They're deceived. They're deceived. Can you see? They're deceived. There's a demonic influence that's deceiving them. Doesn't that burden your heart, church? They're deceived. They're deceived. This is too heavy. Too bad. Church, Satan never advertises this is a lie. He is the serpent, the deceiver, and he always masquerades his lies as God's truth. Paul writes, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 and 14. A couple weeks ago, I shared this verse with, with, a, with an official, with, a, with a, someone who's a public servant, holds a political office. He's a Roman Catholic, and he's a practicing Catholic. We've had some great discussions. I actually blessed him with a study Bible. He takes this pilgrimage very faithfully down in Canada, supposedly, you know, Mary appeared there, and it reminds me as a child, we, we were Roman Catholic, and how many know the story of Fatima and, and Mary appearing before these siblings? And, of course, he knows that whole, and my grandmother used to sit us all down, and every year it would come on TV, and she'd want us to watch it with her. And so we, we're in this whole conversation. He's telling me about this. And I says, oh, my, I, I start telling about my grandmother and how. And, and I said to this person, I said, you got to really, you know, I, 
There's this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 and 14. Let me read it to you. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Could it be that what those children saw was the devil? In a sense, appearing as an angel of light, this Virgin Mary who gets worshipped, right? Where is that? Let me see it. I says, it's there, it's there, I'll show you. I never knew that was there. Do you think that really was? I'm just drawing it out there. I can guarantee you this, it wasn't the Virgin Mary. It wasn't the Virgin Mary. Hey, if there's any Catholics here, I love you. I'm just being honest. Satan is a counterfeiter, an imitator. And that's why it's so important for Christ followers to be filled with the Holy Spirit of truth. And I'm going to end there tonight. We're going to continue this focus um, next Wednesday. Let's, let's stand together. Brother Steve, would you come? And I'm going to ask the ushers if you would give out this summer celebration card. And we're going to, in just a moment... I'm not going to keep you much longer, but I want to pray. And two things. I want to pray for a summer celebration. Joe, if you can put the, the names on, that are on my wall up on the screen. We, these are names of unbelievers, unsaved people that people in this congregation have submitted to me. I have a prayer wall, and we pray weekly for these names, for, them, for these folks to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. You know, church, last Sunday, the Spirit of God was working and moving. And I don't know how many of you saw this man come up to me. Never saw him before. The end of the service, he came up to me and he said, Pastor, would you give me a hug? And I said, yes. And so I hugged him and he just began to cry in my shoulder. And he cried and he cried. And I looked at him and I said, what's your name? And he said, Joseph. He said, Pastor, you said in your message, you you weren't planning on sharing that story about that man that you met that was pretty upset, that was pushed away by Christians. You didn't know why you shared that story. You weren't planning on sharing that story in your message. He goes, I am that man. And he just started to cry. And he says, I haven't been in church in over 20 years because I was pushed away. And today I just, I I walked into this building and I didn't know why I came, but it was because what you just said, that what you you said, that's me. And he just started to cry. I just held him and I got all broken up and with tears as well. And I just prayed for him and I whispered, I said, see this hug, this hug that you, that you're feeling right now is from heaven. It's from God. He's a personal God. He led you here today. 
He wanted you to hear this message. He wanted you to hear that story. That's how personal God is. That's how close he is. Would you pray for him tonight? His name's Joseph. Joseph. And he gave me his phone number, and I called him today, and I'm hoping to have lunch with with Joseph. He said he has lots of questions. And then there was another couple that responded. I believe their first time. She's with child. They're not married. But they were so under conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that they came forward. They want to live their lives for Jesus. They want to make things right. Incredible church. Can we pray for that couple too tonight? Yes, let's give God praise.